Well, all across the country this morning, uh, people in churches are hearing sermons about thankfulness and gratitude. And I think that's really great. We need to hear sermons about thankfulness and gratitude. I mean, we're constantly being told we're one purchase away from happiness, except when we buy that one thing, what happens? They're like, now you need to buy one more thing. Um, happiness is tied to gratitude. So I think we need to hear that a lot. We need to, be we need to hear that at least as often as we're advertised to. Uh, but that's not what we're going to hear today. Um, we're going to hear something a little unusual today, but we're ending a series about the Holy Spirit. And as I got to the end, I was like, man, should I even talk about this or should I just let it go? Should I just go on to something else or should I talk about this? Because this is, might seem like an unusual question to you, depending on where you grew up in the church or if you were around Christianity at all. We're going to ask the question, is the Holy Spirit female? Um, that's not the question that most people are expecting after Thanksgiving. Now, some of you are like, oh, yeah, he's going there. Yes, let's talk about that. And some of you are like, oh, my gosh, is this blasphemous? Like, should we walk out of here right now? So stay with me. We're, we're going to talk about it. Let's discuss it. Um, let me give you some context. In 2007, there was a book published by William Young called The Shack. Anybody read The Shack? A couple of us. There was a movie recently uh, with Octavia Spencer. She's like, I consider like a great actress. I love Octavia Spencer and anything. Uh, but anyways, this book called The Shack, it took a few years after publication to start circulating in my church circles uh, where I was pastoring down in Tennessee. And a few pastors I knew publicly decried it. They're like, this book is heresy. Don't read it. Um, you know, if someone gives you a copy, throw it out. Uh, and someone asked me what I thought, and I was like, if you want to know what I think about a book, I need to actually read it, not just assume what's in it. And so I read it, and it's a fictional story about a man whose daughter was kidnapped and murdered, and then he encounters God at a shack in a mountain, and he has this conversation about suffering and about evil and about loss. But God appears as an old woman, as a young woman, and a Middle Eastern Man, and some people were really upset that the book had God appear as an old woman and the spirit as a young woman. And uh, my take at the time was like, this is a fictional story. The shape God takes is far less important than the conversation he has in the book about suffering and evil. And I felt like that conversation was really good. And so I gave my sign off on the book and I told people, read it, enjoy it. It's a fun fictional book. And I really didn't think about this question anymore. Like, is the Holy Spirit a she? It didn't really bother me in the book and I just moved on. Uh, then I moved to Philadelphia about eight years ago, nine years ago now, and we started having some Bible studies in homes before we started having church services. And this one lady asked me a, a question. She says, I understand the Father and the Son, but does that make the Holy Spirit like the mother? I was like, boy, people ask weird questions up here. I was like, what am I doing? Like, uh, and I was kind of like, uh, uh, and I was like, I, uh, uh, and I really didn't have an answer for her. And I just kind of like backed out of the conversation really awkwardly. Um, I hadn't spent enough time thinking about it and researching it to have a good answer for her. Um, before or as I was starting the church, I began reading an author named Caesar Kalinowski, uh, who I really loved and found really helpful. I love his stuff. In fact, his book, Small is Big, Slow is Fast, is pretty much the template for our church. So if you're ever like, man, I just love that Horizon does this or this, I probably took it from Caesar Kalinowski. Like, I just felt like he had a good insight about what the future of the church in North America is going to look like. I found his training materials and his books so insightful. One of my favorite quotes, you've probably heard me say this here, the gospel moves at the speed of trust. That comes from Caesar Kalinowski. That's his thinking. That's his quote. But as I started reading some of his stuff, 
and um, started listening to some of his podcasts and some of his trainings, he kept mentioning her. He'd talk about God, and then he'd talk about her. And I was like, who is he talking about? And finally, one time in one of his podcasts, he came out and said he believed the Holy Spirit was a she. And I was like, what? Should I keep listening to this guy? Like, I don't know how I feel about this. I was like, he's taught me so much. I feel like he's been so insightful. Then he had to go and say this, and now I feel really uncomfortable. Um, I hadn't really heard anyone with orthodox beliefs say something like that before. And so maybe you've heard some of these things. Maybe you've experienced some of these things. Maybe some people have asked you questions like this. Maybe you've thought, like, there's a father and a son, but no mother. What's up with that? Like, maybe you've thought about these things. Um, today, we're going to explore the idea. We're going to see if it has any orthodox Christian values in it or if we should totally reject it. So, everybody good? Not ready to throw stones at me yet? You're hanging on for the context. Okay, good. Um, right now, we live in a culture that has a lot of questions around gender. As a result of those questions, I've seen people double down on the worst gender stereotypes. As questions about masculinity arise, there are some that double down on the most toxic forms of masculinity, which they think is giving an answer to culture, but I think only actually raises more questions for people in culture. And yet on the other side right now, there are people asking questions about gender that have never been asked before. Um, and so anytime we talk about anything about gender, it can be really controversial, but we're going to try to keep it biblical, simple, grounded in Christian history today. When it comes to the Bible, some people come to it with a lot of hurt because of certain expectations that have been extrapolated from the scripture. I remember growing up in evangelical churches that uh, I was given a picture of masculinity that did not look like Jesus, that looked more like David or Saul, uh, who weren't always great examples to be held up as the example of what biblical masculinity should look like. And while that's not what we're going to talk about today, I do want to remind you that biblical description is not necessarily biblical prescription, right? Just because the Bible records something, it doesn't mean it's telling us to do that. Do it. There's murders in the Bible. The Bible is not telling us to murder. Just because something is recorded in the Bible doesn't mean God is saying this is what you should do. Just because the Bible describes a first century male-dominated society, that's not necessarily what Jesus intends for us today. We have to be careful when we use biblical texts to answer modern earth questions about gender or even about life because they were written to address very different cultural questions. Now, that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have things to say for us today, but we must be careful that across time and culture we don't make it say what we wish it said today. Um, Paul was not answering your question about culture or gender when he wrote his epistles. He was writing questions from the Corinthians or the Romans or the Ephesians. And it's dangerous to assume that his answer to our question in our time would be the same as his answer to their question in their time. Okay, everybody with me? Okay, good. We got that out of the way. Okay, that note out of the way. Why do some people think the Holy Spirit is female? Um, you know how there's gender-specific words in Spanish? Yep, some, some people know Spanish. Darby, you know Spanish, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, so there are male and female words and neuter words in Spanish. The same thing is in Hebrew and Greek. The word for spirit in the Old Testament is female. And the word for spirit in the New Testament is neuter. And the Hebrew word for the glory of God, maybe you've heard this word, the Shekinah glory of God that appeared in the temple, in the tabernacle, this physical manifestation of God's power and beauty, it's a feminine Hebrew word. 
Um, in addition, early church fathers and mothers, these are the early Christian writers and thinkers, pastors and leaders uh, in the first couple hundred years of the church. They saw the Holy Spirit as female and considered her to be Lady Wisdom from the book of Proverbs. If you've read Proverbs, it talks all about this personification of wisdom as a woman, and she is seeking people to follow her and to live a good life like she prescribes. In the first 400 years of the church, we have a long list of Orthodox church leaders who reference the Holy Spirit as female in their writings. These include Origen and Jerome, Hippolytus, Arrhenius, and many, many more. There's like a long list of them. There are dozens of early Christian theologians who reference the Spirit as female, as mother. Um, and these are all foundational, theologically sound early Christian thinkers and writers who had a profound influence on the early church. And they all write about the Holy Spirit as female, or at least make reference to the Holy Spirit as female. This is a who's who's list of early church leaders and writers. When you go to seminary, like these are the people you read. You know, these, these were influential on everything that came after in Christianity. And they mentioned the Holy Spirit being female or being called mother. And the Bible, according to some people, does seem to provide some evidence to support this thinking. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Just listen to what it says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Did you catch that? To make them in the image of God, he created them male and female. To make mankind in God's image, he had to make them both male and female. At least that seems to be what the text is implying. And throughout scripture, we see a repeated theme of God being compared to females, especially in analogies. Um, there's many here. I'm just going to hit on a couple. Psalms 123, God is compared to a ruler's wife. Isaiah 66, God is compared to a comforting mother. Isaiah 49, God is compared to a nursing mother. Isaiah 42, God is compared to a woman giving birth. In the New Testament, in Luke 15, God is compared to a woman who loses and then finds a lost engagement coin. In Matthew 23, Jesus himself compares himself to a mother hen. And there are many, many more references like this where he compares himself to a woman or uses an analogy of a woman or specifically a mother. Now, Jesus was a man, and Christian tradition refers to the triune God as masculine. There are masculine pronouns in the original languages to refer to the triune God and the Father and the Son. However, the biblical authors are way more comfortable using both male and female analogies for the triune God than I am in the Protestant evangelical circles that I grew up in. Like, referring to God as a nursing mother feels uncomfortable to me. Like, but you know what? That's not just once or twice in the Bible. That's multiple times in the Old Testament they do that. I don't like referring to Jesus as a mother hen gathering her chicks. But that's how Jesus referred to himself. And um, sometimes I have to get past some of the own like uncomfortableness of the circles that I was raised in. Sometimes we get hung up on enlightenment paintings about what God and Jesus look like. You know, the Renaissance paintings, and they imagine an old white man in robes. And these painters were influenced by Greek culture and Greek art, and they used the Greek gods for inspiration. And God the Father often looks like, is that Zeus, or is that supposed to be God? You know, like, you can't tell, because they look exactly the same. The biblical authors were much more comfortable with divine mystery than we are in the West. 
uh, descendants of the Enlightenment, we want to dissect and categorize, categorize, I can't say that right, put into a category, category, I'm just going to give up. We want to dissect and organize everything in a way that makes sense to us, and there are some things beyond our understanding, and that's okay. And the biblical authors seem fine with that. But we feel a lot more, at least I feel a lot more uncomfortable with that. John 4, 24, Jesus says, God is a spirit. Numerous uh, Numbers 23, 19, God is not human, that he should lie. He's not a human being, that he should change his mind. Psalms 115 makes this comparison between the God of Israel and the idols of their neighbors. And they say, look, your idols have eyes and ears and mouth and hands and feet, and yet they cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot speak, they cannot move, they cannot touch. Our God is a spirit who doesn't have hands or eyes or mouth or ears or feet, and yet he can talk and hear and touch and move. And so at this point, you're like, wow, how does this affect me at all? Why do I care about any of this? Like, this will be really fun if it ever comes up in trivia or if I'm at a really boring Christmas party and I'm like, hey, fun fact, did you know some people think the Holy Spirit's female, you know? And they're like, they just move a step away from you like you're that guy, you know? I don't want to talk to you. There is a danger in saying God is male because some people will take that to mean male is God. That's not what the scripture ever says, and that's not what church tradition says either. Both men and women were created in the image of God. Both were created to rule and reign over the earth and to use their power to spread order and beauty. When you slander a woman, when you speak down to her, when you belittle her, you are belittling someone made in the image of God. And I don't know why, but that hit me a little bit harder. If the Holy Spirit is female, that just meant a little bit more to me. I should have thought, it means it either way. She's made in the image of God. But it's like, I am actually mocking or belittling or speaking ill of someone actually made like God. So, is it wrong to call the Holy Spirit male? Is it wrong to call the Holy Spirit female? Um, I'm not going to give you a definitive answer. I, I don't think there is. I'm going to continue following 1,500 years of Christian Orthodox tradition and most of the time refer to the Holy Spirit as male. But if someone refers to the Holy Spirit as female, I don't think we should freak out. I don't think the Holy Spirit is insecure and gets mad if we somehow misgender her or him. Um, I don't think the Spirit is so petty, but it does cause me want to use very precise language, as precise language as possible. When I say God, a million different things scream through our mind. If you mention God in our city, some people think of some things true, some things false, some they were told, some we've imagined due to our experiences and circumstances. When I say God in our city, in this space, you might think of Yahweh, the triune God of the Bible. But if I said God in certain parts of Philadelphia, they might think of Allah, which is a very different God. Jesus most often referred to the first member of the Trinity as Father, and so I try to do that as well. Like, it's not just God, he's Father. And Jesus is much more specific than God or even Son, so I try to reference him by his name. I try to reference the Trinity by the name Yahweh, but I think God is less concerned about what pronouns we are using, and he's much more concerned about having a relationship with us, actually getting us to know us and us knowing him. He's much more concerned with us talking to him and talking with him. Jesus loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are working to invite you into the divine community of love, peace, and joy. And that is even if you don't get all your definitions right. 
God's not checking people at the door into the kingdom and saying, you got all your theology right, because otherwise you can't get in. If you find the male-dominated Bible trips you up and keeps you from encountering Jesus, take hope. Because the Bible has a lot of stories about flawed men and lots of beneath-the-surface beneath the, uh, beneath female heroines. While the Bible does include stories about male-dominated ancient societies, the stories it includes often subvert the very male-dominated society it describes. If you find the masculine God of Christianity tripping you up and keeping you from encountering Jesus, take hope. There's a long tradition of seeing the spirit as female. For the first few hundred years of the church, numerous authors wrote about the spirit as female. Some Messianic Christians still refer to the Holy Spirit as female, as well as Syrian Orthodox Christians and Moravians. We started this series to find out who the Holy Spirit was, what this Holy Spirit does, and how we can relate to the Spirit. And we ended each of our messages over the last six weeks with a prayer, and I want to end this series the exact same way. So if you just pray with me. Holy Spirit, meet with us. Forgive us for wanting control. Forgive us for trying to do things without you. Forgive us for wanting to always define you, to be like, you only work this way. You only look like this. You have to fit within my little box. Forgive us for trying to dissect you. Help us to hold the tension between truth and mystery, because what you really want is us to know you, to become like you, and to do what you did. Holy Spirit, fill us Forgive us for trying to do the supernatural without you. Forgive us for getting frustrated when we don't include you in the planning and then complain when you don't bless our efforts that we did without your aid. We don't want dead religion. Don't leave us with powerless meetings with no sign of the supernatural. Surprise us. Do wonders for your glory.